So yeah, let's get this thing started. Who is the living monk and uh, what is your work really all about here? Thanks for asking, Gary. So the living monk is a concept, concept that I put together. It's not a, a specific person, but I would say it's an attitude uh, around spirituality, an attitude that makes spirituality a living, a real, a real living concept, practical concept, something which is applicable, practical uh, to this day and age. Many people, sometimes when they think about monks, they would think, oh, this is something that I have to uh, detach myself from um, from family, from society, from money, uh, go hide in the Himalayas and mountains and caves and forests. And of course, there's a concept of monkhood like that. But this is not the the path that I was brought up into in, in my spiritual upbringing. And also the monastic uh, attitude that I was uh, brought up with, it was very different. The concept that I was brought up with is that um, being a monk is not actually renouncing uh, your material environment, but actually spiritualizing your material environment and realizing that there is no such thing as material, but that everything is in essence spiritual. But it's a matter of um, tuning your consciousness and realizing your purpose, your dharma with the universe, with God, and realizing how to spiritualize everything around you. Well, just to clarify, you actually were a monk, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was practically dedicated for for seven years. I was a monk in different monasteries. Part of that time, I was also traveling. And during the the traveling time, that I, I started filming different videos from uh, interacting with people and sharing with them. Uh, different spiritual concepts and uh, across that sharing I, I found out that oh there will be like a lively interaction to share online so I started a channel and I was looking for for a catchy name for for the for that channel and I thought about okay well uh, let me actually the name came from a different channel I think it was called like living Tony or Tommy like a youtuber that would just uh, live his life and share what he's doing, which is basically traveling. And I thought, ah, let me just grab that living aspect and put that with a monk with like the, the costume that I was, the attire that I was wearing at that time and share my life like that in a very, uh, simple, authentic way. And yeah, it's sort of, uh, it spoke, spoke to a lot of people. And, uh, later on in, uh, around, um, the beginning, Beginning of last year, I started more uh, expressing the whole world of coaching through that and personal growth and really exploring different avenues and expanding on uh, what is the concept of spirituality at, at large. And again, in a very, in a very practical way, which led me in the last half a year, really developing the whole uh, area of men's wellness and uh, this uh, um, talk that uh, we're about to have now about this topic. Yeah. So yeah, let's get into that. Um, how did you transform from, you know, the monastic lifestyle into what you do now, helping men uh, get over their porn addiction? You know, what led into that? Well, in 2020, during the pandemic, that was the time that I actually uh, uh, shifted 
my um how should how should i call it from monastic life to uh, um to uh, regular material life you say a lay person yeah yeah it can sound like that i guess and uh i was uh, struck with so many different challenges in life like finding a partner um finding my um uh, occupation my service to to the world not in like not necessarily from that spiritual uh, um spiritual background um and i took a few courses about personal growth about coaching and that whole um that whole area and and, and life really spoke to me uh which cuz it really really uh, really reminded me of of the the service i was doing in the monastery a lot a lot of the people would come for advice or guidance or or consulting on different different subject matters and i saw that i can actually have the ability to connect all the knowledge that i uh received from the scriptures and the practices um with the outside world but in in a in a very palatable way which actually speaks to to a common person that um right like what what the common man wants really in in life we want we all want to secure our living somehow we want to be loved and we want to give love um we want to create abundance in our life and slowly while throughout working with uh, different clients one on one i noticed that specifically with men the issue of their um um not not in, not entirely sexuality but specifically this whole issue of pornography and uh, addiction um is all raised quite often and throughout through the different practices uh that i developed and i also learned and i taught the the clients in my one on one sessions how to deal with their sexuality and how to uplift the sexual energy and stop this repetitive habitual uh behavior with with pornography uh one of one of them actually um suggested that why not to put a program together to help men to do that in a more systematic more give them like a strategy and 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 open a community for men to practice that all together and this is pretty much what i've been developing in the last um half a year and next week actually is the launch of this this whole program as a complete whole in the community form uh they're going to going to start some uh very excited so i think it basically came up from this need this need that i i've seen from working with with men mm, yeah it's definitely a need in today's world like you said it is a um pandemic <laughs> quite literally that i feel as though um no one really wants to speak about but um it's quite rampant <laughs> to say the least so what would you say are some of the biggest detriments to the habitual use and the habitual consumption of pornography like how would you say it affects our brain and our whole being mhm yeah it's uh, there there are a lot of study that's been done on on the subject matter uh different evaluations of of gray matter and uh and overalls Uh, psychological effects dissatisfaction frustration anxiety i think the one that i like to stick to the most and uh, the most obvious is how it affects our ability to to um how it dysregulates our emotions our 
uh, there's the, the part of the brain with the prefrontal cortex, which is uh, really uh, tempered uh, by uh, habitual usage of pornography. And the whole uh, uh, whole nervous system is basically being disconnected, um, tempered from the prefrontal cortex, affects our ability to um, to to regulate our feelings or emotions just like on drugs and it's very very similar although i'm not a i'm not a specialist on uh, i'm not a therapist a qualified therapist to treat addictions or or, or of any sort but many others and many other psychologists and psychiatrists that do tend to make this parallel and uh, treat uh, treat pornography in a very similar manner and uh, you know it's all we're really in the middle of a huge experiment, you know, and in, in the last pornography in its current form in this, in this, uh, uh, variety and, uh, depth and, uh, this whole, like, just like we have YouTube, right? There are whole, there are so many channels that you can go and never leave. Mm -hmm. It, it's really something that never been present in, in any man's life nowadays. And not only men now, also, like uh, pornography usage for women also is on the rise. There are different sti different statistics are out there, and the more formal statistics that share around sixty five percent of men uh, and their usage, and like twenty to twenty five percent of women. But these stats, I find them really outdated because there there are many other stats from from the last years that really share a hundred percent usage from men and eighty percent usage from uh, from women. And it's really alarming because we're still not actually completely aware of what are the uh, the consequences of that. But just to try to imagine if you would take a, a, an ordinary average man from, let's say, 100 years ago or even like a 70, 70 years ago, he would never have so much access to so many, uh, so many stimulating materials. And I like to treat, uh, to look at pornography or this habitual cycle as like this this uh, regular dopamine cycle that we have either from our phone or, or food and other things when dopamine by itself is good and healthy sex by itself is good and healthy but when you don't have actually any anything in that dopamine seeking uh, cycle that you have to work for and aspire and put some time and effort and thought then the whole thing becomes uh, abusive and it becomes just like a drug when the only thing that you need to do to get the drug is to go and get it and yeah. try to get the money. Yeah. <laughs> and it's probably the most accessible drug of all time. Yeah. And none of the websites, they actually make any attempt to to uh, um, set any boundary or border. J just recently, some states, they in the process of asking actually ID verification. And I think just one state so far, I think it's Ohio, they actually prevented certain uh, websites and now they forced to actually verify ID, just like, you know, in your banking system and like uh, crypto and so many other sites which are regulated in the States and North America. And, you know, if we compare that situation to, let's say, 100 years ago, and no man had so much access to so much material, so much content, even like kings, let's say, in, in I don't know, like a thousand years ago, they would have, you know, seemingly unlimited access to women, which is not the same because they would have to take care of all these women. And mm -hmm. if they would have children with them yeah. and um, 
considering that there were no contraceptives uh, um, at that time, they would have children and there would be responsibility. Still, they were never, they could never like flip through, you know, their, uh, through their eyes and look at uh, like at some uh, static screen yeah. and see hundreds, hundreds, 10,000 and a thousand women in a week. Right. Mm -hmm. So we really, you know, are not at all aware of how detrimental it would be over time. And, and now uh, there are different new studies that show the, the connection to other states of, uh, of consciousness that are developed and, and tempered with, which is around the, um, the whole like gender issue, really finding our uh, place in our gender. And uh, I recently heard something from, from different experts on that field, how many, many people that decide to, to change their gender, they started from actually being habituated in pornography for many, many, many years and how it led them to very specific sections in pornography that trained them to think in the opposite gender, for example. Mm. And it's very disturbing, like very disturbing. They're the whole YouTube, their whole YouTube area to help men to stop the whole detransitioning uh, process because of their porn usage. They're of course, uh, they're of course trans people and, and people that are identifying and it, it's a whole spectrum, but we're living in a time, you know, that the media pushes such a big narrative, what people should think and what should not think. And pornography is a major part of that, yeah. which affects how actually people think they should think. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's actually tempers, tempers with how, how we, we view ourselves and, uh, Part of the, the, you ask, I think, before what actually the effect of, of pornography on, on our being as a whole. And one of the effects is actually disassociation. And disassociation is a stepping stone to a gender dysphoria or dysmorphia, genital dysmorphia, and, and all these other things that causing us to ask, really, is my uh, God-given body and vessel or yantra, as we call it in Sanskrit, is it where I'm ought to be or or I can just change it and change my karma and, and all those different things. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Ultimately it's just, um, very unnatural. It's just not, I feel as though it just distorts our view and our entire perception of who we are and what we're supposed to do here. I think it just messes up our energy. It's just, um, yeah, there's a lot to it, but it's just unnatural <laughs> if you want to keep it. Yeah, many, many people, uh, many women, especially in all these um, uh, uh, demographic, like statistical studies, they would ask them, like, what's the reason behind watching porn? And many people, they would ask, they would, they would say how it's for educational purposes. I want to learn how to please my partner more or I'm a virgin. I want to be prepared. And like you said, it's such an unnatural way how to understand how um, how to explore our sexuality. And through that unnatural way, you can reach so many so many weird places and end up just you know completely uh, you know damaged, not just psychologically but also physically. And the uh, rest just follows. Yeah. Now, would you say that 
pornography and really just the over-sexualized culture that we seem to live in is the foundation of the degradation of our culture? Or is that more just of a reflection? You know, is it a cause or an effect or maybe both? You, you mean you, you're asking basically if like, what's the cause of our, of our degradation? Is it pornography or is it something? So is it, is it Mm -hmm. pornography and the over-sexualization? Is that causing our degradation or is that just a reflection of our degraded values? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's sort of a weak spot. You know, we, we all came here to, to this material world, to this material sphere to enjoy and, and, um, utilize this, uh, this propensity of enjoyment to the highest extent. And according to the ancient uh, Vedic scriptures, God created this place uh, mm-hmm. for us to enjoy and then realize that there's no actually enjoyment here. Yeah. And mm-hmm. sex is like the core, the core, the most stimulating type of enjoyment you can imagine. Like no, no drug can actually uh, give you that stimulation over and over. So, I think pornography just hits a uh, that weak spot and just opens an outlet in and especially in a if we speak about a culture which is bereft of uh, really strong core values that define it as uh, define really what is uh, what is humane, what is inhumane, what is right, what is wrong, what is black, what is white, and and leaves a lot of gray area, then slowly, slowly over time, over 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, um, that just, uh, you know, becomes more and more chaotic, more and more detrimental. I think in the West, it started from the, uh, um, um, like the invention of the, um, um, sorry, I forgot the name of the conceptive method, but it's the, the pill that women take, the um, pregnancy, Oh, uh, plan B? Uh, well, the, the whole... Um, like Contraceptive? The, yeah, the specific contraceptive that... Um, uh, I have a uh, I think it's out, called plan whatever. B pill, right? I don't know. Yeah, I get like one of these pills. Yeah. So, um, uh, and it just opened up this outlet to explore, starting exploring um, your sexuality in in unregulated not not exactly unregulated but not not in a way that requires any responsibility because yeah um still like there's like the later uh later stage of let's say uh, uh of abortion which is also promoted as a uh, from my point of view just like another contraceptive method that's not not a real not not a real way to again take responsibility so uh yeah, it's it's eating a very weak spot uh, in our culture, and there are no. I think there's not sufficient broadcast of of strong values about femininity, about masculinity, about their coexist healthy coexistent together, about living responsibly, about God. Uh, everything is very both impersonalized and both um, uh, manipulated to very particular agendas, either. Mm-hmm. Uh, pharmaceutically or um, politically, uh, which is very much um, goes together many times. And yeah, from there, the gate in a way has been open to such an extent that anything anything can happen like from now on. So 
Mm. Yeah. And anything is happening. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sexuality by itself, it's, there's so much like living aside, even what happens you now, even if we go 1000 years ago, it's like an eternal in the material from the material point of view, the the topic of sexuality is also eternally present here and and internally with that mm -hmm. the topic of guilt and shame is is always present there how do we balance how do we take to responsibility and being empowered from sexuality from our dynamic with sexuality rather than uh letting our sexuality drag us into guilt and shame because guilt the guilt the shame just uh sucks any everything within it and uh expands on anything negative that, that comes into that. And my answer to that is that guilt, guilt and shame actually can be dried up by speaking about it. There is a saying, I forgot who said that, but that guilt and shame derives its power from being um, being left unspoken or unseen. And I really much appreciated you inviting me and in, in, uh, uh, speaking about this topic, because I think simply by speaking it and raising the topic of what is actually healthy a healthy relationship to our sexuality by questioning that we can help so many people that are seeking answers mm -hmm. yeah so it's not necessarily repressing or negating the sexual energy that is um ever present in our being it's more so just having a healthy relationship and utilizing that energy for ourselves and ultimately the greater good yeah yeah mm -hmm. totally in 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 one ancient scripture, the, the Bhagavad Gita, if you're, the viewers are familiar with uh, God, Krishna, he, he shares actually how I am that sex pleasure. But there's a continuation to that, that sex pleasure, which is practiced according to dharma or yoga or religious principles in the more Western translation. Mm. So that sexual pleasure, that high volume stimulation is actually is actually God. But not connecting that in a healthy way to our society, to our community, to our uh, true propensity in life and taking not taking responsibility over that, that uh, turns it to that which is not God, which is in Sanskrit, Maya. Mm -hmm. mm. Wow. So it's the quickest way to God or quite the opposite. It's just about how we use our yeah our like a knife mm. right like a knife uh, you can use the knife in so many ways a sergeant uses a knife and a thief uh, uses a knife sometimes they use the same knife <laughs> right so yeah. it's a matter of how to utilize that and uh, that energy can uh, can liberate you and can also entangle you deeper 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 and deeper into um the cycle of birth and death or samsara mm -hmm. sanskrit yeah actually have uh got the bhagavad gita right here got the oh, awesome. chapter 16 prepared I'm, I'm gonna read a little excerpt on that note just Please a little, little excerpt um <clears throat> krishna says some people have divine tendencies others demonic I have described the divine at length, Arjuna. Now listen while I describe the demonic. In preface, I'm not calling anybody a demon here, and I don't think Krishna is, but it's the tendencies, like we said, that can either bring you closer to Krishna or further away. The demonic do things they should avoid, and avoid the things they should do. They have no sense of uprightness, purity, or truth. There is no God, they say, no truth, 
no spiritual law, no moral order. The basis of life is sex. What else can it be? Holding such distorted views, possessing scant discrimination, they become enemies of the world, causing suffering and destruction. Hypocritical, proud, and arrogant, living in delusion and clinging to deluded ideas, insatiable in their desires, they pursue their unclean ends. Although burdened with fears that end only with death, they still maintain with complete assurance, quote, gratification of lusts is the highest that life can offer, unquote. That sums it up right there. There's a little more that goes on in the chapter, but I'll keep it at that. That seems to be the state of the world, is that gratification of lust is the highest, uh, is the highest thing that we can attain when it's quite contrary. <laughs> it's almost like when we make that the, the, the number one goal, it's like we cap our capacity, you know, we cap our true, like we said, connection to God. It's like we literally create some kind of boundary in our being so that we can't make that connection. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's been told in the scriptures, man. And this was written all before the age that we're living in. It's ever more present and ever more relevant in today's world. Um, but it's true. We hold so much power, but with great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sex without 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 any higher purpose behind it. For some, it might be God. For some, it might be you know so many. I'm just designing a thread now on social media around different celebrities that we know that were uh, practicing celibacy to achieve their goals, and not all of them had like many you know like spiritual goals. Like you have you know Muhammad Ali that he was simply trying to be the champion, or Mike Tyson. Uh, still, they knew that the key for their success is to control their uh, their sexuality and that sexual urge. But without that purpose, the that sex life turns into lust, like you're like you're reading, mm -hmm. and that that uh, that and that sexual path, that misuse of that sexual energy, is just devouring more and more and more. And, and we can see that. Uh, slow, so slow but sure degradation in in our society because we don't we don't hold really any any high high purpose as a society around uh, like either like around our sexuality or around our like common like spiritual practice or etc. But um, yeah, and then it's sort of like a loophole because the more you indulge in in the senses, the more you indulge in that sense material sense gratification, which is the highest of sex, the more blunt your senses become and dull mm. and the more you need and the more, if we speak about pornography, the more novel type of pornography your system will be seeking on to get that um, thrill, that dopamine rush. And the less you will be interested in pursuing anything higher. So mm -hmm. that's why we see so, so much loneliness in our society, so much depression. Um, we're living in a 40% depressed society and highly medicated and, uh, um, and it's a lot because we lost our purpose, you know, lost our purpose, or you can call it connection to God or, or spiritual, but you don't have any, any other aspiration besides. And for some, it might be food or, or money or, or drugs. And, and they not like, like you said, I really much appreciate it. How you were you shared how it's not about 
addressing someone as a demon or good or or bad. It's really about understanding um, the consequence and understanding what serves us, what doesn't serve us, what what a certain path might lead us to. And it's about uh, understanding also how society naturally works and flows. And, and this is also a big teaching in the Bhagavad Gita, how Krishna, how God explains that he he shares this human experience in, in, in our society from the material perspective in uh, um, eight, uh, eight type of social and uh, um, spiritual structures or divisions. And in each and one of these divisions, there's a place for everything. There's a place for uh, making money. There's a place for, uh, there's prostitution there. There is, um, um, I don't know, some people eat meat, some people don't eat meat, some people they would try to control, some want to be controlled. So there's a place for everything we experience in the human experience. But because we don't have this complete understanding of what are these divisions are and who belongs to what, we try just to mix everything. Uh, it creates chaos and then no one actually knows what his natural propensity toward what natural uh, area of life or so or social area of life or religiously um religion is also di- divided in a different sphere uh, and then that chaos creates this uh, quote-unquote demonic mentality which essentially can be translated into the the desire to just roll um um lord it over over everything because mm-hmm. when you have a mess in society when there's chaos then it's very easy for people who are uh, in power or or or, or um, other things to control and utilize for their benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. <sighs> I think the biggest point about that is that we're cut off from our innate purpose. I like to think that all of us incarnated here have some sort of dharma, one may say, some sort of purpose to be the instrument of Krishna in one way or the other. Like you said, it's in different ways. We all have our different knacks and circumstances yeah. on how we go about that. But I do fully believe, you know, cliche, we're all here for a reason. You know, there's a reason for everything. So I think, you know, we're supposed to kind of enact something in as the expression of God in one way or the other in this humanly vessel. It's just that we're cut off from that, from the demonic tendencies of our world. It cuts us off, kind of like just puts us, you know, puts a platitude at our purpose so that there's nothing, mm-hmm. there's no purpose. I, I think a lot of people are nihilists in today's world. This kind of just like cuts us off from all purpose outside of pleasure. And that is... um. Yeah, that's demonic. <laughs> that's yeah, quite demonic. Frustration. There's a lot of frustration in the air. There's a lot of frustration, a lot of yeah. disbelief, this mistrust, misuse of like authority. Um, people, I think we're living in an age, right? That it's easier to get, easier and seemingly more reliable to get our information from, rather from our predecessors, like mother, father, um, or any systems, we would go to, um, you know, to websites and just make our own research. And, uh, which is great. I mean, it shows a lot of determination and, uh, and curiosity, but at the same time, it, it creates a society that we lack the responsibility to stand 
up for that knowledge. You know, let's say I read something, but what is it? What does it really mean about my life and about, about my values? Do these values create actually design my life? Because back in the past, right, if you would be, I don't know, born to a particular family, you would follow that particular family's lineage in everything. Like you would do what the family does. You would believe what the family do. You would marry who the family would tell you. There'd be so much reliance and trust and practicality in that reliance and trust. It's like we're living in an age that all the ideologies have been taught. We've been taught uh, since we were little, just crashing in front of our eyes. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, this is, it feels to me that there's a huge gap, a vacancy void yeah. for people and they're frustrated, they're frustrated and they want to destroy it even more through other different means. So when you speak about the concepts like dharma or, or occupation is translated in Sanskrit many times, there's also our, there's the sanatan dharma or eternal occupation. There is a religious occupation uh, and there's also svadharma, which states to our basic occupation that we um, get our means in this world, in this life. So it's very much unknown, right? We go and we we study many times a degree that we don't really care about just because our parents asked for it. And we end up working in a completely different field. So there's a lack of purpose for most of our life, sometimes yeah. for, for for so many people. Mm -hmm. And what's what's beautiful about yoga and the Vedic scriptures, just like the meaning of the word yoga, which means to connect, it helps us to connect to ourself in both our material identity and our spiritual identity. Material identity meaning in, in this life, what is my karmic lineage? What is my propensity? What am I out to do? What is the easiest way for me to um, achieve happiness in this life? And spiritually, okay, how to understand that this is a source, ultimately, this is a temporary place, which is going to cause me sooner or later misery, and how to live in a detached way, being mm -hmm. present, but still detached, preparing for that final moment, preparing for death, and ultimately leaving this world, continuing to live in my eternal life, eternal form with God. Mm. Well said. <laughs> well said. And that's what it's all about, is establishing that connection with God uh, while we're still here, while we're still um, somewhat cognizant of our, um, how do I put this, of our ability to connect to God, like being able, while we're, I guess, not suffering in a way. I guess I can say I'm not suffering right now, and you're probably not suffering per se. So we're using this time effectively to establish that. So yes, when we do... Um, reach the great beyond, I guess you could say, it's almost like we were ready. It seems to be like this life is like a preparation for death. Some may say that's what meditation is really all about, what yoga is all about. I kind of feel as though it is. The more and more I walk the path, I feel like uh, this whole life is just a preparation for our transition. Um, yeah. and, and it's just like, this is the, the life is the trajectory of how we go about it you know it's like it's it's tending to our karma you could say um yeah it seems to be that's the if you want an overarching purpose it seems to be that's the overarching purpose here it's to i guess transcend the wants and needs of the body the pains and pleasures and see what's really going on here and really what's going on it's to just connect with god uh, connect with a greater purpose a greater whole a greater connection 
a greater, um, just a, a greater part of our being so that it makes the transition a little bit easier to bear, I guess you could say, like a little bit uh, smoother, less um, inertia, you know, just um, just an easier ride. Mm -hmm. And then maybe if we do have future lives, um, if we took care of this one, as the sayings go, the, the next life and the next life after that will be also easier to bear, less suffering, better circumstances. Who knows if that's true? That's what they say in the scriptures, but it's really all about just taking care of the here and now, establishing that connection in the here and now to the ever-present moment, to the eternal whole, this infinite wholeness, Krishna. And uh, yeah, from there, life just becomes a little bit better, I guess you could say. I feel like that's the true key to this so-called happiness that we all yearn for. It's really just connecting to a greater whole. It's connecting to a greater sense of yourself more than just the five senses, more than just the gratification of the five senses. It's really seeing beyond that, not negating them, but it's knowing that that's not like in the Gita says, that's not like the top thing. That's not what we're supposed to do here. There's a little bit more going on than just trying to fulfill feeling good and not feeling bad, <laughs> you know? But if we, getting back to the topic, if we just, if we get lost in the, uh, the plateau of porn, it, it traps us at the body. I'm pretty sure that it's trapping all of us into this confinement and uh, prison or perspective of a prison of the body. It's just keeping us very lowly so we don't know that there is a connection to a greater whole, which ultimately gives us purpose, you know? And it's so accessible. It's so easy. If there is some kind of cabal or some kind of agenda behind it, man, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much, but if there is, that's the purpose behind it. It's to disconnect us from God. That's a whole topic in itself, yeah. you know? That's a whole other thing. But you know what I'm saying? It's like really what porn does and or the over-sexualized world that we live in seems to do is it really just cuts off that connection. It traps us into just the body when really we're more than just the body. It traps us in a very nasty way. Um, mm -hmm. Like the, the topic of disassociation uh, that people that work with the, with the DSM-5, the, <clears throat> the different diagrams and characteristics of different mental, mental disorders it it's actually describes how it makes us numb to the human experience yeah. and makes us um, either nihilistic or uh, just, just uh, detaches ourselves in a very unnatural way mm -hmm. um, from the body. It's and, like the opposite uh, of Tantra. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Instead of elevating, uh, elevating ourselves, elevating ourselves to this understanding that we are, we are the soul um, and living life in a, in a spiritual way within the body. We go in even lower than thinking that we are the body because we're not, we're not even able to understand that we are something else, but our experience in, in the Bhagavad Gita itself too, there is a description of how, how our human experience, uh, not just human experience, but experience in the material world is, is painted in three, they call it three gunas, three colors of, uh, material experience and passion, 
goodness and ignorance. It's a subtle way how to paint our experience. And basically it shapes how we, how we react to the world, how we perceive the world, how we perceive everything starting from, uh, let's say our parents and our school or friends and also sexuality and, and food and all these different essential things are also included there. And the more we have, the more we narrow ourselves to the spectrum of ignorance, mode of ignorance, which numbs the numbs our experience in the material world, uh, the more it traps us um, in in this difficult state state of consciousness, very numb state of consciousness. And the way how yoga progresses, it would take you from uh, ignorance to you would utilize some passion. And from passion, the goal is to elevate yourself to goodness, to have uh, a spectrum of goodness in your life and narrow it as much as possible in goodness. So then you can actually think about transcending the the whole material experience by itself. But without actually coming to goodness, it's impossible to do that uh, that stage of transitioning. Like someone might even hear about uh, transcendence, but if he is still very narrowed in his way how we see the world from ignorance, he might actually even confuse uh, the state of goodness to inertia, you know, to just, you know, like being very isolated or, or let's say, um, practicing silence or practicing um, not not using any money or other things, just ignoring the material world can very easily turn into escape and escape philosophy that takes us away from transcendence. Because mm-hmm. the way how to really approach transcendence is to come through knowledge, which is the qualities of the mode of goodness, um, knowledge, abundance, uh, patience, curiosity, acceptance, open-mindedness. And so uh, there are many more qualities that describe there in a uh, thing as the 14th, 14th cha- uh, chapter in the Bhagavad Gita, the modes of material nature. And it describes how connecting to these qualities, you can actually understand <clears throat> practically how in your life uh, you can transcend your particular situation at work, at your family, in your particular religion. So the Vedic paradigm or the, the Vedic uh, color color scheme is not, uh, is not religious at all. It's something that simply gives knowledge and uh, an alternative approach to people from all religions, from all philosophies, and from all uh, parts of of sexuality, too. It's all included there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so pretty much summing that up of the three energies of, uh, you know, Rajas, Tamas, and Savik, Mm -hmm. it's refining our lifestyle. And in that, that refines our views of the world and the way that we present ourselves. So would you say that is the path, the yogic path? It's really just establishing healthy patterns for one's life, a healthy maybe lifestyle in the way that we know about it. And the basis, the foundation to that is understanding that we are completely affected by our association. So these three modes of nature, Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas, they are primarily stage of our consciousness, which are constantly we associated with being our mind. 
in, in our society, there's a lot of stress on independence and how independent and unique an individual we are. And that's complete, complete BS. And we can see it now because there's so much push to individuality. And I noticed that before I, I, I considered to be a monk because I saw that everyone's pushing me to be individual. But what's so individual about trying to be unique all the time? Everyone's just trying to be unique. And it's all one just pile of like chaos. And no one is actually... No one actually sees my individuality in that pile. The most unique thing would be to do the most ordinary thing is to put a, this one costume that all the rest of the people that put. And then I actually realized, okay, my individuality really sparks from having this uh, uh, orange robe, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the yogic practical approach to life is that you really consider heavily what is your association, how you're affected by that, mm-hmm. starting from these three modes of material nature and then everything is good everything is right because instead of looking at reality like looking at reality or looking at um at our social structure as right or wrong you know uh pro-life or 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 pro-choice uh uh, gender ideology or conservative or liberal like this is all black and white philosophy but instead of looking in reality like this, you start to see, oh, okay, these are people from a very specific area of life or particular mode. The, there's a people from a different sphere of life, and it's all part of this color scheme of the human experience. And where do where do I fit? Where where does my life would fructify and, and give me uh, the happiness that I'm destined to get already? Where is my isle? And... Um, considering really considering what is uh how we affected by everything we perceive like mm-hmm. online in person and yeah and then taking the next stage would be taking responsibility and living that life according to these values in that particular uh color color grade that we pick mm-hmm. all said yeah mm-hmm. that's what i like about yoga and how it's described in the Gita, with the sutras, with the Upanishads, is it's very practical. Maybe even more so in today's world than when it was written. But that's what makes it almost a miracle, is the words still stand in the human experience for what it was, you know, the guidelines Mm -hmm. and the structure that was given to us. It's still still so uh, relevant to how we go about living our life and refining our life. Many of the scriptures were were lost, right? Just up until what seventy years ago, they found the ancient manuscript for for the Bible in the Dead Sea, and they showed how the translations were pretty accurate and other marvelous foundings and schemes. All these scriptures that were meant for this particular age, like the the Bhagavad Gita, is specifically meant for the people of the age of Kali, the last mm-hmm. five thousand years are going to last for another 400,000 years or so. So yeah, the more, the more actually we go along this path of this, this particular millennium in which in the Vedas described as the Kali Yuga, the more these scriptures going to become more and more relevant. And uh, yeah, it's uh, unfortunately a lot to do with, with the fact that we are becoming more and more detached from our core, core values as, um, people of of this earth of this planet yeah yeah well luckily we do have the scriptures and we have people like you 
that are, uh, <laughs> you know, guiding others along the way and showing others the way. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say. I think that's probably a good point to wrap this up at. Um, do you have anything you'd like to say? No, I feel complete. Uh, I feel grateful for, uh, you know, for you allowing me to, to speak on your platform and share with you and the audience, uh, yeah, the mission of the, the living monk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time, effort, and wisdom that you brought to the conversation. Um, yeah, keep doing your thing, man. You're fighting the good fight. Um, I don't have anything else to say. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Um, yeah, thank you for anybody that listened this long. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good, you know, last line, but... I don't got anything else other than thank you. So <laughs> thank you again. Appreciate it. And uh, wish you all the best. Thanks, Gary. Peace and love, everybody.